with a reminder of what the writer Solomon has been giving us over and over and over again. So Ecclesiastes 9, 1, he repeats himself, so we repeat ourselves. Ecclesiastes 9, 1, it says, But all this I, I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the, the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Feels like it would be hard to do after everything he just said. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Again, this is, this is comical. We can laugh because that is your portion in life and your toil in which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shul to which you are going. And so... Solomon gives us kind of this, this juxtaposition, these two kind of realities about death, that we are going to die, and yet he says, go and enjoy life. And that's a constant theme that Solomon's been providing for us over and over again in this text. This first point I have for us, embracing our fragility reminds us to enjoy the gifts we have in front of us. We've talked about this over and over again. Solomon reminds us of the great equalizer. There is a great equalizer regardless of how rich, poor, what tax bracket you're in, regardless of what stage of life you're in, there is a great equalizer for us all. And this is the shot of pessimism that this book offers to us, this necessary evil. The death is a gift. It can be a gift to us. Don't re reject the gift that Solomon's providing, that you and I, we are ridiculously fragile. And there's actually wisdom and embracing that, that we are ridiculously fragile, that we cannot predict the future, we cannot guarantee what tomorrow brings. We are ridiculously fragile. And Solomon allows that to lead us into what do we do? Therefore, we live in the moment. Because you can't be guaranteed tomorrow, because you can't be guaranteed next year, because you can't plot out the plan for your goals for 2022. There's no guarantee you should do that. We're going to get that in the text in a little bit. But the point is that what we are asked to do in wisdom is live with the only moment you have, which is the moment right before you. Enjoy the gifts that God has put before you because there are no guarantees for tomorrow. Don't miss this moment searching for something you can't attain. Don't miss this moment for something you can't cash in on it, that can't cash in on its promises. And this is wisdom. We're ridiculously fragile with no guarantees. We have very little control of life. And yet we can entrust our lives into the hands 
of a father who cares for us and loves us. And what we can do is enjoy the here and now. We, we had two sermons several weeks ago in this series on Ecclesiastes where we focus on the great equalizer, the whole sermon, and we focus on enjoying this moment. So I'm not going to repeat much more than this. But what Solomon's reminding us of as he laces this thing throughout is you're going to die, so enjoy the moment right before you. You're going to die. Enjoy the moment right before you. Don't let your phone steal the moment right before you. Enjoy the moment right before you. There are no guarantees. That's the wisdom that we hear. Embracing our fragility reminds us to enjoy the gifts we have right in front of us. And he goes on, and he illustrates this point. And again, we could spend a whole morning on this, and we're not going to. But he gives this little story in verse 14 of chapter 9. I'll read it to you. It says, There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man. He, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Leads to the second point this morning, which is faithfulness can be celebrated even when no one remembers you. So, and the wisdom literature in the scripture is so applicable for all of life. It's applicable for parenting. It's applicable for faithful living. It's applicable for serving in ministry. So the story goes, you got this small town, um, and there's this king. This king comes, and he besieges this small town. He takes it over. So the king becomes the king over this small town. He uses his power to try to do so. And there's this poor wise man who's again the opposite of this king, and he comes up with a plan of how to uh, overthrow this king so that there can be peace again in the city. And so he works tirelessly to come up with a plan, to execute the plan, to deliver the plan, and he does, and somehow he overthrows the king. And the climax of the story is that nobody remembers him. He spent all of this work, all of this time, all of this effort, all of this energy to try to serve this community and no one ended up remembering his name. There were real people that he spared, real people that he rescued. It's not a, uh, not many people, there, there was not a spotlight on this city, but man, this city was spared because of this poor wise man, yet no one remembered his name. Put his heart and soul into this community and nobody, nobody, Remembered his name. So what do we do with that? What do we do if we're that poor wise man? Like that's the point is to kind of enter into the story. What do we do if we become that person in our own lives? We effortlessly or with, with you know, earnest vigor try to serve and care for someone or something and ending up not being remembered by anybody. It's painful to do a good thing, a thoughtful thing, a generous thing and receive nothing. Like if you're human, you feel that. Right, if it, to to work your your soul towards something and then crickets on the back end, it's true of parenting. And you put your heart and soul into your kids if you have them. You put your money into them, your effort, your time, your prayers. I mean, you might not get a return at all. They might reject you. There's no guarantees. It's painful. Nobody remembered his name. It's true of faithful living, you caring for others, being faithful to what you feel that like God has called you to, and yet potentially nothing. 
Nobody remembered his name. It's true of service. It's true of ministry and different components. So we have a, a serving in a local capacity over a long period of time and potentially not receiving any benefit. Serving at First Care Women's Clinic or Brumby or investing into our cross-culture or workers. Maybe never getting a pat on the back. Nobody remembered their name. It's a hard pill to swallow. And under the sun, this is painful. Under the sun, it's painful to put your heart and soul into something and get no return on it. But as we found over and over again in this book, under the sun, there's vanity. Under the sun, it's meaningless. But we've invited from the very beginning of the series, we talked about the sixth sense. Again, not seeing dead people, but the, the sixth sense, which would be faith. It's faith. It's this ability to see beyond the sun. It's the ability to see something beyond our five senses and know that though maybe nobody sees us, God sees. And that's the tension within this story, that in one sense, this man nobody saw. But what we find through the scriptures that God can see when nobody else sees. And that's the zinger that we find in the gospel. If we're living and serving before God, there might be times where you put your heart and soul into something and nobody sees, but by faith we can know that God sees even when nobody else sees. See, he knows our name. He knows our name, even if nobody else does. And this is where faith will change your life. This is where faith can be applicable to work. When you begin to realize that you're not working just for a paycheck, You're not working just to get approval from your boss, but you're working to work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, to actually believe that God sees even when man or woman doesn't. And see what happens if in your hard work and effort, nobody remembers you. It can be crushing. But friends, God sees. God sees when no one else sees. God cares when it seems like nobody else cares. God protects when it feels like nobody else protects. God loves even when you don't feel lovable. God does when the world doesn't. See, faith, it shapes us. If you don't believe me, consider Psalm 139, where it tells us this. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down or are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. And his thoughts to us are not like the world's thoughts. Friends, God knows the worst of you and the best of you. He knows the most broken part of who you are, and yet in his grace, he generously gave himself. He doesn't just know aspects of you. He knows all of you, and yet generously gave himself for you. Friends, this is good news for us. And it motivates us to be pleasing to him. 
It motivates us to do our lives, to give ourselves for him and not just to get a return from our kids, a return from our job, a a return from something else, but to be pleasing to the Lord. That's why we say faithfulness, or, or, or said it differently, that success looks like walking with Jesus, doing what he says, and leaving the results up to him. That might look like something flopping. That might look like you trying to do something and it crumbling right before you. But if you do it for him, you win. There are times when we seek success in this world and it's actually displeasing to God. Truly. But man, we want to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men and allow success to be faithfulness to him. Faithfulness can be celebrated even when no one remembers you. Third and last, we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and 11. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8 through 11, then I'm going to read some in chapter 11. It says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage of the charmer. And then uh, chapter 11, 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls... There it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So we got the third point, which is this. No one stumbles into godliness. No one stumbles into godliness. So we see the story begins, and we have this example of this digger who digs and digs and digs. He does it for decades after decades. And then one day, he digs and he falls, and he gets hurt or even dies. It's the first example. The second is this demo team. He's just, they're knocking out walls. And then one day, after decades of doing it, they knock down a wall, and there's snakes in it, and they get bit by a snake. They get hurt or die. And Solomon's saying, life is super unpredictable. You can't guarantee what's going to happen. You might do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and then one day a curveball might come that you're not expecting. Life is unpredictable, and no one can control it. But he goes on to say, and he uses these examples of how we, though life is unpredictable, we're called to be intentional. No one stumbles into godliness. He talks about this, uh, what's the phrase he uses? He uses an iron or an axe. Man, you can have an axe. It's axe season, right? We're chopping wood. Hopefully, if you have a fire, you need that. And so you have to chop wood with an axe. And if you have a dull axe, man, you hit a piece of wood and it doesn't split the wood. It's not enough to just wish that axe was sharper. Like, it's not enough. You actually have to do something about the axe being dull. If you spend all your time just wishing, I just wish that axe was sharper and didn't do anything about it, the axe isn't going to get sharper, you have to actually sharpen the blade. 
See, taking, taking action matters. He, he goes on, he talks about this snake charmer. Snake charmers aren't super common where we live, um, but in Sri Lanka, they are. And so I was in Sri Lanka in 2007, and on the beaches uh, there, uh, I spent some time in India, and then I visited Sri Lanka. And while I was there, there was these uh, individuals, these dudes, who would walk around with these like baskets, and they'd open the basket, and inside the basket was a cobra. And the cobra would lift his head. And I don't know why, in hindsight, even as I'm reading this text, I'm like, and they would, they would ask you for money so you could take a picture with the cobra. And so the assumption in my mind in, in 2007 was that this guy has got this thing under control. Or like, that's what, you, that's what you're paying for. You're trusting. And I, I did trust. I don't know. Why. In hindsight, I'm like, why did I trust? Those things can, are lethal. But you, you trust that he's charmed this snake enough to where you can smile with the, with the snake like an idiot, thinking that he's charmed this thing. You have no idea. And so you're trusting that he's got this thing under control, that he's charmed this thing. But if he hasn't charmed that thing, I'm dead and he might be dead, right? And so it's not enough to just, I wish that he charmed the snake when he's bitten me and I'm laying on the sand. It's not enough to wish it. You have to actually put that in practice and actually charm the snake. And again, in the same way, intentionality matters. Solomon's telling us this. He's bringing balance. Yes, life is unpredictable. There's no guarantees for tomorrow. But we're also responsible to be intentional with what is right before us. Said differently, it's better to work smarter than to work harder. You've probably heard that before. See, the wise actually take things to heart and they put together a plan even if there's no guarantees for tomorrow. And that's what Solomon's communicating to us. See, the foolish leader won't allow criticism uh, to actually shape them. They won't allow kind of pain points of learning to grow. They just reject it. The wise men and women know where they are going and working on a plan to get there, even when life is unpredictable. No one stumbles into godliness. See, following Jesus... There's no, there's no guarantees in life in following Jesus. There's no guarantees of good health. There's no guarantees of good fortune. There's no guarantees of pay raises. There's no guarantees of ease. There's no guarantees of comfort. There's no guarantees that you're going to enjoy your job. But we do have guarantees of hope. We have guarantees of peace, even when circumstances are messy. We're guaranteed to know that he's with us by faith. We're guaranteed that there are practices that we can use to recalibrate Jesus as our true north. And the text reminds us not to simply want to wish for something to be different, but to actually do something about it. You won't stumble into godliness. It's not enough to want to do something different. If you're not careful, your want-tos will give way to I wish I would have. If you spend your life, and I wish, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that with no action, you're going to end up regretting for not engaging. You won't stumble into godliness. See, what good is it if you want something, but don't do something about it? If you just want to be a godly man, you just want to be a godly woman, you just want to be a godly parent, you just want to raise godly kids. You just want to be generous with your money. 
I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you live in the world of want to and you don't actually take action upon those things to make change, to grow, you're never going to change and you're going to look back on your life with regret and with little change. If you feel the need to grow, if you have areas of your life that's been exposed and you need counseling and you spend years and years and years wanting to do counseling and not actually engaging it, you're not actually going to grow. You won't stumble into godliness. See, sanctification which is a big theological term of this progress of how we're growing with Jesus. It's a concoction of God, his grace, and his spirit, and you working together. And the wise man gets a plan and works it. That's what Solomon's telling us. He says in chapter 11 that uh, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He talks about the clouds and the wind and the water. And every day you're kind of looking up, like, should I sow the seed today? Ah, it looks like it's going to be windy. There's no point. Next day it looks cloudy. It might rain. Next day, every day, there's always a reason for why you don't do something. And Solomon says, just sow the darn seed. Like, stop worrying about what the future holds and actually take action with the things that are on your heart and make progress and try to move forward. You won't stumble into godliness. It's what Solomon is telling us. See, no one stumbles into it. No one stumbles into the man or woman they want to be. You know what you do stumble into? The man or woman you didn't want to be. You know what you do? You become just like your parents if you're not careful. (laughs) And for me, that would be a good thing. My parents aren't here, so I can say that. Right? They're not here. Okay. Okay. Man, we just we replicate the previous generation unless you put in the work. And it's not easy. You don't stumble into godliness. And Ecclesiastes is a necessary evil. Right? There's three things that matter most to me. I mean, above everything else. I want my life, my outer life, to be the same as my inner life. I want to be pleasing to God. Like, truly, like, I'm not just saying that, like, and I'm far from perfect. I am far from the man I want to be. I mean, I want to make efforts towards that end, that my outer life is the same as my inner life when nobody else is looking. Man, I want to cherish my wife, and I'm not just saying that because she's in here. Man, I want to pursue her, and I want to love her, and I want to be committed to her and cherish her. I don't stumble into that. You know what I stumble into? Selfishness. I stumble into being a man that's only focused on myself, but Jesus invites me into more. Man, I, I want to be an intentional parent. You know what's easy? Just only turn it on the TV. You know what's easy? is just in the car. Just listen to what you want to listen to. You know what's hard? To engage your kids. It's hard to actually put in the work. It's hard to actually think of questions that they'll actually answer. How are you? Fine. Sweet. Turn on the radio. We're done. It's hard to think about questions that they actually will respond to in a way that actually is helpful for them to understand. And we won't stumble into these things. We'll stumble into just repeating the same old thing, thinking we're actually wanting to be different. We end up just wishing all of our lives and not actually taking steps. Yeah, life is unpredictable for sure. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we're invited to have a plan. We're invited to take steps. We're invited to not, to not just become the person that we've always been. Man, it's so kind of God to give us time. So kind of God to give us space even in this moment to reset, to actually evaluate and say, man, where where am I? Man, Ecclesiastes really is a necessary evil. Man, this is really painful. But it's good. It's oxygen. It breathes upon our lives and allows us to actually reflect in a good way. 
And we value authenticity. I've talked about this before. Ecclesiastes makes it, you be authentic if you actually want to deal with the text. To come as you are and not stay there. To actually consider, like, where am I? Am I just coasting in my life with Jesus? Am I coasting in my work? Am I coasting in my marriage? Am I coasting in my parenting? Like, am I? And I actually have a moment right now to actually recalibrate and actually press the reset button. So as Chris and Kendra come up, man, you can either have life happen to you, which is what we naturally do, or we actually can take steps forward. We won't stumble into these things. Sometimes we have to come up for air, and that's why we talk about this all the time, that like we gather every Sunday. The why, why Sunday matters to us, why gathering matters is, man, we need regular resets. We're naturally moving away from our true north, and gathering with the saints, it recalibrates us to remember what is true, to remember who Jesus is, to repent where we need to, and to recenter upon the goodness of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, it's important to evaluate. So we wanted to just take a few minutes. They're going to play. Chris is just going to play. Now I want you to evaluate. I don't want you to get in, move out, pop up thing, got the goods, I'm home, I'm at Applebee's, probably not going there, but I just said it, and then we're going home. Like, it's so easy to just do it, you know, like just to go through it. Man, we're just going to take a minute to breathe. I don't know what that looks like for you. Like, just evaluate it. Like, man, am I, am I, am I doing it? And the good news is, if you're not, and we probably aren't, there's grace. You got this, some of you got that perfection tendency coming up, and shame and guilt starting to come up a little bit. Man, it's, that doesn't motivate. Grace does. He loves you regardless. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Like, it's not his anger. He's not, like, shaking his head at you, like, just take like your dad was when you were little. Like, he's so kind. He's so caring, and that, that melts our hearts, doesn't it? It melts our hearts to know that we're a mess, but he loves us, and that actually enables us to take a step towards him. He's not waiting for us to get our lives together, but he, in his grace and kindness, it melts our hearts to say, man, I want, I want to be godly. I want to, I want to be an embrace and respond to the invitation that Jesus gives to us. So we're just going to sit here. Just for a minute in the quiet, you might hear some screaming of kids. That's, there's kids underneath us, and so there's probably going to be some screaming. But just to exist, like, where's the step for me? Like, he's not looking for you to be perfect, so he'll love you. He already is just loves you so much. And allow his grace to just maybe lead you to make a step. Don't just wish it. Do something about it. You won't stumble into godliness. The necessary evil of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to take a minute, and then we're going to take communion. So let's just sit here for a minute together.
Father God, our hearts, we confess we're prone to wander. We're really, really honest. We're all just a hot mess. And that you care. You care. You're not like this world. You're kind. And you're good. And you're steadfast. Even when we wander, you are stable. You are the anchor in the wind of this world. We give you thanks. Great is thy faithfulness, we say. Guide this community, Lord. Minister to us. Move among us, God. Give us the courage and strength to take a step where we need to, Lord, in Jesus' name.